Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at www.cwcsj.org for service times and directions. I want to take some time and we're going to get into the word this morning. We have been speaking on awakening. And I just have this word that's just been been burning. And you know what's troublesome is that when one service goes really well, this morning, this first service was just, Spirit of God was here, powerful, the word flowed and everything. It's scary when it goes that good because then you try to duplicate it. And then you're trying to, to say the same things you did in the first service, and then you end up, oh man, I missed that point, and you end up getting stepping on your, on your own toes. And so this morning, I'm just going to share the word that God placed on my heart with, uh, with you, and uh, help me out. This is my first week back, so if you pull on my anointing, uh, I'm going to be able to share with more anointing. If you're hungry for the word, you're going to be able to, to receive the word. But if you just sit back, kick back, and you're not, not engaged, then the, word, the, the word's just not going to come across to you this morning are you are you god bless you blessings upon you that was a healthy one you know that's the way you're supposed to sneeze for those of you ladies that go what the heck is that if you're gonna sneeze let it rip you know what let it amen just don't cover your mouth though don't don't wet the person in front of you Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we turn to the book of Luke chapter 9. Let's get into the word this morning. Amen. Come on. Luke chapter 9. What we're speaking about here. And we're going to read the scripture then jump into the word. But we've been preaching about awakening. And as we get into awakening. I want you to take a look at verse 12 of chapter 9 of Luke. And I want you to recognize that what we're about to read. Pastor Matt spoke on last week or or two weeks ago. But I want you to recognize something. When a miracle in the Bible is spoken about once, how many of you know it's important? Come on, talk to me. If a miracle is mentioned in one of the Gospels, how many of you know it's important? If it's mentioned in two of the Gospels, how many of you think it's maybe a little more important? How about if it's mentioned out of three of the four Gospels? But what happens when God decides that this is so important and the principles are so valuable that he mentions it in all four Gospels? That means that there is a principle there that God doesn't want us to miss. There's something in there that God needs for us to get a hold of. And this morning, I want to share that with you as we start in verse 12 of chapter 9. It says, when the day began to wear away. How many of you have ever been in a service where the pastor kept on preaching? Amen. And you're just wet at Lord, land the plane. Yeah. Don't, don't you say amen because that hasn't happened here. No, it does <laughs> That's when you were somewhere else. And when the day began to wear, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitudes away so that they can go to the surrounding towns and countries and lodges and get provisions For we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Look at your neighbor and tell him you. You do it. Notice their response. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we go and buy food or all these people. I think that's supposed to be for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, help 
In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you about awakening. America has experienced four great awakenings. Not revivals. We've had the Azusa Street Revival. We've had different revivals that have taken place throughout the land, whether it be in in Pensacola, whether it's a Toronto blessing. We have seen revivals, but awakenings don't change. Revivals don't change a city. Awakenings do. And I want to just real quickly share with you four different awakenings that took place. I kind of shared this briefly a few weeks ago. The first awakening took place in the 1700s. And in the 1700s, under, the, under Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, there, there came this movement of God of a shift from theology to heart. A move from a, theology, a theological understanding of who God was, of knowing God and knowing God. Moving from knowing who God is to experiencing who God is. Because religion at that time wasn't experimental. It was only in theory. People didn't have a relationship with God. The religion was set up in a manner that it wasn't something that God wasn't someone that you knew. It was someone that you learned about. And so this awakening takes place. And all of a sudden it moves from theology to heart. And it was the precursor to the American Revolution. You see, every great move of God, when it moves and an awakening takes place, it will change society. If the move of God that happens in your life doesn't change society, then you're experiencing revival. But if it changes society, you're experiencing an awakening. You following me? Second great awakening took place in the 1800s. And that great awakening that took place there, it moved from the wealthy folks to the common folk. Only the wealthy in those days were allowed to receive the word. And all of a sudden this transformation came where all of a sudden the gospel was opened up to everybody. Somebody say amen. It wasn't based on, on your W-2. It wasn't based on how much you made. It wasn't based on the color of your skin. It was based on the fact that the gospel is for everyone. And when that happened, that was the precursor where people stood up and said, slavery is wrong. It found themselves standing up and saying, women have rights. And you see people take a stand and then also say, you know what? Alcohol was also outlawed. Prohibition stepped in. Some of you didn't didn't say amen right there. I'm not talking about alcohol this morning. Let's move on. 1850s. Another great awakening takes place. And when that happens, over one million new converts come to know Christ. Come on, folks. One million people accept the Lord. A million people. And the focus now goes to holiness. And it was during that time when the holiness movement began to rise up. They said, you know what? We need to start developing denominations because we need to separate ourselves from the people that don't want to be holy, that don't want to go after God. And so they developed groups of like-mindedness, people that had the same heart, the same passion, and they developed a denomination. And that happens during the middle of the Civil War. While America is fighting each other, these things are rising up. You see, in the middle of the great crisis, God still moves. 
Now, now follow me on this. The fourth great awakening. Hang in here. I know some of you are like, man, I didn't know I was coming to history class this morning. Now, this is good stuff. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. In the 1960s, about 100 years later, we have a whole nother awakening that takes place. Some of you are around for that. Okay? That next great awakening, what was called the Jesus Movement. It happened in the 60s and it moved. Remember, the first move created denominations. The next one stepped away from denominations. Because now you got all these people getting saved. How many remember the Jesus Movement? Anyone? One or two of you. Oh, come on. Y'all are older than that. Heck, if I remember the Jesus movement, I know many of you do. You're like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. You know Gilligan's Island. You were there. You remember. You remember the Brady Bunch. You remember those shows. Okay? If you remember those shows, then you remember the Jesus movement. And what takes took place during the Jesus movement, you got all these free peace. Remember, free love and everyone with the peace signs and people, LSD, getting high, drugs, and everyone just doing all kinds of stuff. Well, all of a sudden, God begins to move within these freaky people. God shows up. You know what? There's nothing worse to religious folk when God shows up to those that religious folk don't like. It messes us up because God doesn't like these people. Now, all of a sudden, all these long-haired hippies come walking in with no shoes on, torn-up jeans, T-shirts, and they're walking into church, and they love God like crazy. And they're seeking God, and they walk into the church, and the denomination stops them and says, No, go put some shoes on, get a suit on. And now this is how you dress, this is how you look, this is the way you talk, this is the way you walk. And they rejected those people. The churches that embraced them, an explosion took place. See, I want you to notice something. The Jesus movement, he doesn't like the Jesus movement. He's not real happy with that. I want you to understand that, that the Bible is the book of awakenings. The Bible is a book of awakenings. Let me explain what awakenings are. I believe that that we are on the verge of another great awakening in the United States of America. Now, you, you you didn't capture that. We are on the verge of another great awakening here in the United States of America. About every hundred years, we see another great move of God. And I think we are on another great, we're, we're on the cusp of another great move of God. What's an awakening? An awakening is a realization that you were created for something better than what you're experiencing right now. That's what an awakening is. So when we talk, oh, you don't, you didn't sound convinced right now. An awakening is when you realize that you were created for something more than what you were experiencing right now in this moment, in this time. It says my marriage deserves better than this. My finances deserve better than this. My body deserves better than this. My community deserves better than this. It's when you rise up and say, I deserve something more. It's when an awakening happens. You see, the enemy can play games with you when you don't realize who you are. When, you, when, he, he, when he can keep you in the mindset that you're worthless, that you're nothing, or you know what? You deserve what you're getting. You see, we, we got to move beyond the sowing and reaping mentality. 
and step into inheritance. Sowing and reaping, you get what you deserve. When you walk into inheritance under the blood of Jesus, you get what God paid for. You didn't capture that. You didn't capture that. We're, we're talking about sowing and reaping. You, you get what you deserve. What you, you give out bad, you get. Some people call that par, karma. It's not karma. It's sowing and reaping. God created it. But when you come under the blood of Jesus, you step into an inheritance. You know what? Thank God. Listen to me. Thank God I don't get what I deserve. Some of y'all, and I'm a pretty good person. Some of y'all, you better be thanking God. You better be thanking the plants. You better be thanking the star. You better thank everyone around you that you don't get what you deserve. Thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. That's where you start stepping into inheritance. You are created for something better. Let me explain this to you real quick. Stay with me. Turn, look, look back at Luke chapter 9, verse 12. And the only reason we're taking it from here is because th- this is the one I'm kind of focusing in on. We'll refer to some of the other uh, accounts as well. But when the day began to wear away, the 12 came to him and said, and I want you to notice this. Jesus is teaching Jesus is teaching, and as he's out there, you got about, the Bible says about 5,000 men. Remember, in the Bible days, they didn't count women and children. So when they say there's 5,000 men, what they're referring to are there are 5,000 heads of households there. Are you following me? So when when they say 5,000 men, they're not talking about little kids. They're not even talking about 12-year-olds. They're talking about heads of households. So there are 5,000 head of households in this place, which you, there could be as many as 15,000 or as, as little as 15,000 or as many as 25,000. But either way, there's a huge multitude. And while Jesus is teaching, follow me, Jesus starts teaching and he teaches and he's teaching. And the Niners are playing and he's teaching. And they're, they're, they're playing at one and they're looking at their watches and he keeps teaching now it's 12.30, and he's still teaching. Now it's 1.30, and they're in the second quarter, and he's still teaching. Now he's in the halftime, and, and he's still teaching. Now the sun is starting. The game's over. It's already over. It's, a, it's finished. The, if the post game's done, and he's still teaching. And now the sun's about to set. And finally, one of the disciples, they're, they're looking at each other saying, this guy's going on forever. In fact, if you, if you take a look at the book of John, the book of John says, that this one, the book of Luke says all 12 of them went to Jesus together. Hey, you know, me and the guys got together, Jesus, and we, we just thought there was something you should consider. The Bible in the book of John says it was Philip, that Philip was the one that was elected to go talk to him. And so Philip goes and he tells Jesus, well, when they get there, they come to him, this is what they say. Jesus, we, we love your teaching. It's great. We just we are really just having a blast right now. You're, you are probably the best. You're the best teacher. And we, we could stay here forever. And we are. We, forever. We could just we just love, just love what's going on here. And Jesus, they, they tell him this. This is where they tell him, send the multitude away that they may go to the surrounding towns, countries, and lodges and get provisions for we're in a deserted place. Gee, look at all these people. You know what? We're fine. We could eat your, your word. That's, your word is health for us. But look at all these people. They're getting hungry. They're getting, they're getting, we got to send these guys out now. We got to, and the thing I need you to capture is this. Before Jesus even begins to teach these people, why are they there? John the Baptist, his, Jesus' cousin has been beheaded. 
They're in mourning because he died. They go to a remote place. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey, guys, we're going to go and we're going to go rest. We're going to get it. We're going to go on vacation is what they're saying. Let's go on vacation. Let's get away and let's get away and find some time for ourselves. Well, when they get there, there's already a multitude of people waiting for them. Not 10, not 20, not 100, not 200, not 1,000. There's 25,000 people that are sitting there waiting to talk to Jesus and the disciples when they go to rest. Have you ever tried to get away? And everyone is blowing up your cell phone, showing up at your house. See, that's why we went on vacation. See, when we do a staycation where we stay home, everyone's calling my phone. And it usually goes like this. Hey, pastor. And it starts with this. I know you're on vacation. But if you know I'm on my vacation, why are you calling? Look at everyone's face. If you know I'm on vacation, what's the but for? But that's why we go out of the country. Because my cell phone doesn't work out of the country. So you'd be blowing up my phone and all you'd be getting, hi, this is Pastor Dan. Leave a message and we'll get back to you at our earliest convenience. And it'll be convenient when we get back into the country. So you got to understand, it's not that the disciples don't want to meet the need of the people. They're just trying to get away. They're tired. And I understand that there's times in our lives where we're tired. We're trying to get away. We're trying to get some rest. And it's in those moments that all of a sudden ministry opportunities start popping up all over the place. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And so I want you to notice what the word does. Number one, the word always awakens need. The word will awaken need. Let me explain it to you in this manner. Jesus, again, teaching all day. And while he's teaching, the disciples realize that they're hungry. Jesus sees it. He knows all things. In fact, I want to submit this to you. This isn't the Bible. This is just my mentality of what I read from the Bible, okay? So, uh, you know, be be cool with me, Raymond, as as I share this, all right? Don't chase me down after service. I want you to recognize something. Why did Jesus teach all day? Why did he keep on going and going and going and going? I believe it was because as he's teaching, he's looking at the people thinking, man, these people are hungry. Someone needs to recognize their need. And so he keeps teaching. An hour goes by, disciples do nothing. Two hours go by, disciples do nothing. Three hours go by, disciples still aren't seeing anything. They are so caught up in their own need, they don't even recognize the need that's going on outside of them. We can get so caught up in our problems that we miss out on what's going on in the world around us. The word has to awaken need. You don't come here just to hear the word so that you feel better. You come here to get empowered to find the need in your community and make a change. You, you, you don't understand how many individuals are constantly trying to get me busy. And some of y'all are good at it. Because you make it sound all spiritual when you call me. 
Oh, Pastor, have you seen the condition of our school system? Our school system's falling apart. We need some more leaders, spiritual leaders, to get involved in the education at our schools. You need to go to this meeting and get involved with... No, I don't. Is it important? Yeah. Should I go? No. The the gang situation is getting out of hand in this city. And you know what? Someone needs to stand up. Pastor, you need to be at this meeting and take care of that. Should I go? No. Why? I'm going to explain something to you in a moment. Hang with me, okay? Don't get mad at me, Rose. Don't get mad at me. Hang with me because she works with gang kids. And so, you know, you ever find out that whatever, whatever your passion is, you want everyone to have the same passion? Right? Because you want to make a change. Your past, if you're working with addicts, you want everyone to have a passion to set everyone free. If you're working with gang members, you want everyone to work with you to get the... If you're working with the homeless, you want everyone to be focused in on... If you're working in prayer, everyone should be at prayer. If you're working on prophecy, everyone needs prophecy. Because we all are passionate about something. Stay with me, okay? The Word of God has to open your eyes. And it wasn't until the disciples stood up and said, Jesus, there's a need that Jesus stops teaching. He's like, now you got it. Now you got it. I can stop teaching because now you see what's going on around you. Second thing that the word of God will do is this. The word of God awakens responsibility. Stay with me. We're almost done. Hang with me. The word of God will awaken responsibility. What am I talking about? You see, it's not enough for you and I to see the need. The disciples thought they were going to end the service just by saying, hey, everyone's hungry. Uh, you know, Jesus, let's go. Everyone, let's get, let's get out of here. Our job isn't to recognize a need. Some of you are good at pointing out what the problems of the church are. Oh, not, not you. Not you guys. I'm talking about other churches. So I'm just speaking in generalities. You're really good at finding out what's wrong with people. You ever notice the people with no kids tell you how to raise your kids? (laughs) Ever find out that the people that are bankrupt are always telling you how to spend your money? Ever notice a person with 12 divorces is telling you how to heal your marriage? You see what I'm talking about? It's not enough to recognize our need. It's our responsibility to meet the need. Look what Jesus tells them. Jesus, everyone, they're they're hungry. They need need to go and get something to eat. Jesus looks at them and does this. You feed them. You feed them. You know what the principle is this morning? The principle is this, that if you see the need, you meet the need. If you see the need... You meet the need. Why? Because no one else has the eyes to see the need like you do. No one else has a passion for that thing like you do. And if I go to your meeting and I'm not engaged, you're going to get ticked off. That pastor fell asleep at your meeting. You're going to Facebook it or Twitter it that I fell asleep at your meeting and be upset about it. What's my job is to empower you to see the need and then go fill it. I need you to understand this morning is that it's not enough to see the need in the community. You got to take action. You got to meet the need. Whoever sees the need must meet the need. 
In Manteca, it got to the point where people stopped coming up to me and telling me about problems in the church. Because when they would come up and say, Pastor, we need a singles ministry. Start one. You are now the director of singles ministries. God bless you. I'm serious. You know what? We need a divorce recovery. You know, I've been divorced and I have no, no fellowship, no one to help me out. Here's a book by Jim Smoke, Growing Through Divorce. You are now in charge of the divorce recovery ministry. Why? Because they see a need. No one else has a passion for it. You know what, Pastor? The church is just totally, it's disruptive. You got kids running around in service. You got other people that are walking in. They don't know where to sit. Congratulations. You are in charge of ushers. I don't want to. Oh, yes, you do. You lose your right to talk about a problem if you're not willing to be part of the solution. Say it again, Pastor. You see, it's all about recognizing that God wants to use you. Why do you see the need? Why does it bother you? It's because of the fact God has placed the ability in you to meet the need. You have it in you. Why do you get involved with youth sports? Because you saw a need there and said, you know what? Someone needs to be here to help these kids and move them along. Third thing I want you to recognize that the word does, and worship team, if you would help me. The word will awaken your source and your supply. I'm going to explain this. Your source and your supply. Everyone say source and and supply. Have you ever faced a need that outweighed your supply? Have you ever had more month than you had money? More bills than you had income? Have you ever had more people over to eat than you had food to feed them? You see, the disciples are sitting here. They just told Jesus the problem. Don't you hate when you tell Jesus a problem and he doesn't fix it? Don't you hate when you pray about something and you're like, you're expecting God to say, you know what, you are right. You know what? These people do look hungry and we need to feed them. And instead of Jesus acting, he puts it back in your lap. You feed them. Take care of it. And I love the excuse that the disciples come up with. Just like you and I, when we're dealing with anything in our lives. Look what he says, verse 14. And then they said, we couldn't scrape up more than five loaves of bread and a couple fish. Unless, of course, and I love this unless, of course. Because what they're trying to do is, in a subtle way, put the responsibility back on Jesus. Unless, of course, you want us to go to town ourselves and buy food for everybody. Just give us a ministry credit card. We'll go take care of it. Give us the Israel Express. We'll take care of it. Some of you didn't get that. They're not in America. Forget it. But I'm bump. The book of John is the only book that tells a story of where the five loaves and the two fish came from. Now, I find it interesting that it comes from not a man, not a woman, 
but from a child. Have you ever seen kids? The generosity that some kids have. I'm not talking about the bratty ones. Can I have a piece of that? No. You know what I'm talking about. Most kids, when they're, when they're eating something and they're babies and they're, they're, they're toddlers or they're little ones, and I love our kids at our church because when they're coming in, I usually, at the old school, I was at the drawer, I was able to greet them, and whenever they were coming in with candy or whatever, I'd say, mm, that looks good, can I have a piece? And they would take that sucker that is dripping with saliva, their face is all covered, and they would pull it out of their mouth and they would stick it in my face and say, yes. I'd be like, mm. No, we're all right. Love you. Tap them on the head. But kids don't mind sharing. Especially when there's a need. There were times I remember when my wife and I were going over finances and my my little girl Jessie would would hear us and she would come in and she would say, Daddy, you can have all I have. You can take. And she would come over with her piggy bank. You can take whatever, whatever you need. Jazzy, we couldn't get her piggy bank from her. She would hide it when we went through those situations. Or it was empty. (laughs) But she was just willing to to take whatever. When it came for tithing and it was her birthday, Jack, Jesse would hold up her money and say, how much do I have to give, Dad? I said, just just $1 out of 10. And she goes, no, here, take this. And she would give half of it. And then after that, she would look at it and say, here, you can have the rest. Give God everything. I want you to notice something about a kid. The little boy hears that everyone is hungry. And he does something expecting. And this blows me away. He thought they were collecting an offering. He doesn't hold back a piece of fish and a piece of bread for himself. He gives it all. I need you to understand that when there's a great need in your life, there are times that you need to go all in. There's a moment in your life you have to go all in, but not everyone can go all in. We got 25,000 people and not one of them. You're telling me there's no M&Ms in that crowd? There's not one Subway sandwich in all those people. You're telling me there's no Gerber's little teething rings for the kids out there. You know what happened? People were hungry. During the day they're eating or whatever they have, they start hiding it. I ain't giving this. If I give this, we aren't going to eat. Come on, somebody. And we got, we got to make sure our family... Hey, guys, come in. Come in a little closer. Pull that stuff up. Hey, hide that thing. You know, put that candy bar away. Put this over. Come on, come on. Put this over here. The disciples are coming around. They, they're looking for food. We ain't given what we got. And yet this little boy comes up and he walks up to Andrew and he gives Andrew the five loaves. Doesn't hold anything back. Gives it all. You see, you can only go all in as a child... When you are a son, you can only go all in. If you are an orphan, you won't go all in. Follow me on this. This is where I close. Only a little boy can give everything because he knows he has a father 
who's going to take care of his next meal. When we were in Manteca, one of our pastors adopted a little boy from Mexico. It's hilarious because the kid couldn't speak English. And so whenever we saw him at the church, you know, we would speak English to him and he would just smile. And slowly he would start, only word that he ever picked up from us was when the plays that we had on Sundays. And we always had the cross up there and Jesus yelling, it is finished. And so he's riding his bike in the back of the church one day and he crashed. And I looked out there and he's laying on the dirt. (laughs) Doesn't speak a lick of English. And he starts screaming out, it is is finished. (laughs) That's not the story I wanted to tell you. His father took him to McDonald's, and as they're sitting there to eat at McDonald's, the little boy would take a little bite of the sandwich, and then when his dad wasn't looking, he would tear a piece of the sandwich off and then put it under the table on a napkin on his lap and then he would wrap it up with his other hand while he was eating and slide it in his pocket. Then as he's eating fries, he would drop a couple of them on his lap and then take those and wrap them in another napkin and put it in his other pocket. And his dad began to notice what was this pattern going on and he tells him, mijo, take, in Spanish, take those things out and he's like, I I don't have anything. He goes, take it out. Because there's nothing there. He goes, take it out. And as he pulls out of his pocket, he has half of his ego from the morning in a napkin. He opens up, and there's the Happy Meal, part of the cheeseburger and the fries. And he says, what are you doing? Why are you holding on and putting this away? A little boy looked back at his father and said, Dad, it's because... In Mexico, we never knew where our next meal was coming from. Because I've learned to hold some aside for later. It's making sure that we have enough to get us through the day. In case I get hungry later on. Father, with tears in his eyes, streaming down his face, looked at his son and said, Mijo, as long as I'm your dad, you'll never have to worry about where your next meal comes from again. Little boy sat there and just scarfed the rest of that hamburger down, ate the rest of the fries. And from that moment on, he had confidence in the fact that his father would provide. My friend, I want you to know, you can't go all in unless you are a son or a daughter of the king. Because when you're a son or a daughter, you have the ability to give your all. You can give without worrying, do I have anything for me? Because I can step across the line. I need you to know that God uses not what you, what you, God uses what you give, not what you have. Let me say that again because I messed it up the first time. God blesses what you give, not what you have. And we're so concerned about holding on sometimes and we think, God, why don't you bless what I have? God doesn't bless it until you give it all. You got to go all in. 
Never minimize what God has given to you. And these men go, this little boy gave everything. And you know what? I feel like backhanding the disciples when they walk up to Jesus and they act like they're the ones that got it. Like they did the work. Then they stand there and say, well, this is all we got. Don't let anyone ever minimize what you have in your hand. You can't go all in until you have trust that your father will provide. I'm here to tell you something this morning. I've gone all in. When you have a need in your life, you go all in. When you're facing a situation that's bigger than you are, you go all in. When you have faith in your God, you go all in. And some of you right now, you, I'm not just talking financially right now. Some of you are giving God, you're, you're tithing your life to him. In other words, you're only giving him 10%. Only in your life where God doesn't want you to tithe, he wants everything. He wants all of you when we talk about your life. God wants 100% because God is either God of all or not God at all. He wants you all. You can't tithe your life. Well, I come to church on Sundays. Well, Monday through Saturday, you live like hell. God wants you all. Folks, it's time to go all in. Stop holding things back from God. Go all in. Step across the line. Go all in. I'm here to tell you, like the little boy, go all in. Because when you go all in, you know what? Next week, I'll tell you what happens when you go all in. Next week, I'm going to show you the miracle that takes place after you go all in. Many of you already know the ending of the story. But I'm still telling you, after next week, you're going to find out what happens when you go all in. I'm challenging you right now to go all in. I'm challenging you right now to step across the line and go all in. You know what? I'm not talking about, I'm not a poker player right now. But I'm here to tell you this. I got all my chips on the table and I'm pushing them all to the center. Why? Because I got a hand and that hand is the hand of God. And the hand of God I have right now tells me that with his hand, I win everything. With his hand, there's nothing withheld from me. And it's time for you, for your children, for your community, for your marriage, for your finances to go all in. You got to go all in. You got to cross the line. Go all in this morning. Bow your heads with me now, Father. We just thank you. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at www.cwcsj.org.